In the last episode with Detective Beer, we learned that after Rich invoked his Miranda rights, he confessed to the murder and where to find the murder weapon. Welcome to Always Bev, The Ripple Effect. I am your host, Barb Jordan. I appreciate the feedback and the comments and the questions, and I hope to get to some of that information in this episode. There have been some more twists and turns, and of course, when Bev was killed, the investigation continued, and one of the nuggets that we found was that Rich had recently proposed to another woman. So again, more information just kept coming forward, and it was. It was all startling to us. But through the years, and as we just, you know, have that 2020 hindsight, there's one thing that we never said. There's one thing that I never said. And that phrase is this. I can't believe that Rich killed Beverly. I couldn't believe my sister was murdered, but never once did I say, I can't believe that Rich did this. He was so good to her. He treated her so well. Oh my God, he would never hurt her. I never said those words. People ask me all the time, how did you get into this? And it's, the answer is simple, that Rich was released from prison in 2018. He lives in Los Angeles. And I just thought to myself, so many people get out of prison and they move about this world. There are people moving about this world that are bad, that haven't even been in prison. And they know how to weave their way into our lives. They know how to mix into a crowd. They know how to blend in. Imagine if you saw a guy wearing a ball cap and it said Marines right across the front of it. Right away, the nice people, the trusting souls will say, were you in the Marines? And right away, if that's you, you've engaged with a stranger. Know who you are doing business with. Know who you are speaking with and know who you are letting into your inner circles. You know, the essence of this podcast is educating others. I will have a therapist on this podcast, a psychologist, law enforcement, because we are all going to get educated on things that predators desire, atmospheres that they thrive in, the things that they look for. And we're also going to try to understand why we make the choices that we make, why we go along with scenarios when maybe we know that something's not right. When we talk about what happened to Bev, uh, we've heard from friends. Friends said that intuitively, they realized something was wrong. They couldn't always put their finger on it. Maybe it was because he picked them up off the ground when he hugged them and twirled them against their will. Maybe it was something that they couldn't describe. You know, that's what intuition is. It's a feeling. You don't always have to define it. For Bev, one of the warning signs was, hey, why haven't you deposited this money where you said you were going to deposit it. That is a warning sign. And so there's many warning signs along the way. And I do wish, I wish that some of my family, more of my family would be on this podcast just to enlighten you because I know that my warning signs are not their warning signs. I know that they experience things themselves, but I'm going to share some of the things that I saw 
some of the things that I wondered and a lot of it ended up being hindsight. Talked, I talked about the last Thanksgiving. Why did Bev come alone? Why did she show up alone on such a family day? He wasn't working, but that's what I thought to myself. Why is she here alone? Why isn't Rich with her right now when she got here? The engagement party, where was Rich? In speaking with all of her friends, everybody says the same thing. That was the weirdest thing. I hardly ever saw him at their engagement party. Again, he was there, but he was in the shadows. Heard from a friend who said, he picked my child up at dinner and put him on his lap. It wasn't that he did anything wrong. It's just that her intuition kicked in. And when that happens, it's a yellow flag. And with a child, it's actually a red flag. My parents told me this story about how Bev, Rich, my mom and dad were at dinner. And Rich poured a glass of wine and he took the bottle of wine and he put it on the floor by his chair. And that action right there, if you know my mom and dad, is unacceptable. But what was he doing? Why would he do that? You might think, there's, is there something wrong with that? Well, it's, an, it's not proper etiquette. That's one. And if you know my mom and dad, you know they wouldn't approve. But he was testing the waters. He was seeing just what he could get away with to see if they would say something. And that's what predators do. They push the limits. So if you don't say something, they've just taken you a step farther. There was other warning signs with Bev, other things that just playing it back in my mind that I saw. I remember I worked at a gym. I worked at the front desk at a gym. And in those last few weeks before she was killed, she came on Sundays about four o'clock and she took an aerobics class. And I remember just being so happy that my big sister was there. Of course, whenever she was around, I'd always say, right over there, everybody. That's my big sister. I was super, super proud of her. So there she was. She was just out on out there doing her aerobics. I remember pointing her out to people. But the question I asked myself is, it's a Sunday afternoon. Where's Rich? Why isn't she with Rich? I never asked her that, but that was something that I asked. The other thing that I always knew was, I always felt like that when I called them at their apartment, that he would never answer. It would always be her. I always felt like she was going to be there alone. And again, there were just times of the day, obviously in the nighttime, couples are most of the time together. On the weekends, most of the time, couples are together. Yet hindsight, looking back, I didn't always see that. He gave me a whisper in my ear. He grabbed me by my hips, put his hands on my hips, on an Easter Sunday morning, all things that have stuck with me, things that I never forgot. My parents shared a story with me about when Bev flew back to Chicago to meet Rich's mom and dad. And when she returned home to Los Angeles, my parents asked her, like any parents would, how did it go? And Bev's response was, they were just different, mom. And when my mom followed it up with another question, Bev's reply was, they're just different. Now, doesn't mean something's wrong with them, but those words cannot be the words that parents want to hear about 
a man who Bev is about to marry about his family. I want to ask you, I want to ask you to make a commitment to trust your intuition. I wish somebody would have said this to me 30 years ago. I'm asking you to do it today. There's a lot of violence in the world today. And I know some of you out there are trusting souls. And I'm glad that you're a trusting soul. And I know some of you out there say the phrases like, well, that sort of thing doesn't happen in our neighborhoods. I laugh. I laugh at that phrase. Let me tell you something. My mom and dad lived in a very nice neighborhood. In fact, I think, it's my own personal thought, that's one of the reasons why he targeted Bev. That's my thinking. So bad things can happen anywhere if we don't pay attention to the warning sign. So when you see that odd car parked across the street, when you see, when you're walking and you see somebody give you a long, hard stare, those are warning signs. The phrase is when people say, I don't know what happened. He just came out of nowhere. And then they think back and they said, oh yeah, I saw that guy standing on the corner. And that ends up being the person who becomes the suspect who actually becomes the person that committed the crime. So a lot of times there are warning signs, but we just go about our life. We see it, our brain processes, but we're not listening to what our brain is actually telling us. Now I'm going to take you back. I ask you to make a commitment to your intuition. And so I'm going to share this story with you. And hopefully this story of my experience of hearing the news about Bev being killed makes you be committed to your intuition. Here's the story. I was a senior in college. I lived in the San Fernando Valley. I was living with a good friend and her family. I was in a sorority. My friend and I went to the sorority volleyball game we were playing our rivals in the gym, in the main gym. And I wasn't playing. I was cheering. I was doing my favorite cheer, get on board. That's what I was doing. I was running up and down the sideline. My arms were raising in the air. I was in the height of my glory. I was in the greatest, greatest moments of my life. Just like that, back and forth, back and forth, cheering on my sorority and my roommate, came up behind me. She spun me around on that gym floor and she looked at me and she said, Barb, you got to go home right away. Something's happened to one of your sisters. I knew it. I looked at her and I said, one of my sisters is dead. I knew it the moment she finished that sentence. I knew that one of my sisters was dead. It was a 30 minute drive home. I was the passenger as my boyfriend, Jeff, drove me home. And I just remember thinking to myself, is it Bev? Is it Karen? Is it Bev? Is it Karen? Was it a car accident? What was it? You know, what was it? How'd they die? What happened? And it was the longest 30 minutes of my life. And we finally got to my parents' house, the one in the the nice neighborhood, and Jeff parked across the street and there was just, it was about 9, 9.30 at night and there was just one light on in the house, in the back of the house. And just for a split second, I thought to myself, 
maybe everything's okay. Maybe everything's okay. And when we walked up the steps to the front door, my mom and dad were standing there. And my dad looked at me and he said, Rich murdered your sister Beverly today. I looked at my mom. My mom was standing right, right, right by my dad's side, sobbing, sobbing, holding a Kleenex to her face and saying, he murdered her. He murdered your beautiful sister. I walked into the house. I walked down a long hallway. And at the end of the hallway to the left was the family room. And there was my sister Karen and my two brothers in the family room. I remember looking at them, processing their body language, processing the looks on their face. And I walked into the kitchen and I got upset. I got upset. And after that, it was, it was, a, it was a big blur. I remember that night I was going to spend the night at my parents' house, obviously. And I remember just as the night went on, I went upstairs to my old bedroom to go to sleep. I remember laying on the bed for a while with the light on. And as I got up to turn off the light, I walked across the room. And as my fingers went to hit the light switch, inside I went, <gasps> and in that moment, in that moment, I knew what fear was. In that moment, I was scared. And when I tell you that, when a, when a tragedy like this happens, that fear, it never leaves you. There's always a part of it with you. And so when I say, please listen to your intuition, that is probably one of the main reasons why. I never want you to experience that fear. The next morning, I don't think I slept. I think I just laid on my bed with the light on and I laid awake all night. And early that morning, I heard my mom, it must have been 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, slowly making her way down the stairs. And she didn't know it, but I followed her. And when I got to the kitchen, she was on the phone. She was calling her mother on the East Coast. And as she said the words to her mom, 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 he killed Beverly. Rich killed Beverly. I remember standing behind her and she just collapsed in my arms. She just collapsed. These are the memories that we are left with. The next days were a blur, rushing to and from the airport, picking up relatives from the East Coast, some I hadn't seen in years. And there were so many people at the house. There was people, there was food, there was people, there was food, there was friends. Some of them I can name, some of them I can't. It became a big blur. As those days passed, we had to go to the rosary where we were going to be able to see Bev in an open casket. And as we entered into the cemetery, into the room where they would be holding the rosary, our family walked in, huddled together, shoulder to shoulder. And as we walked through the back towards the center aisle, when we looked to our left, it was almost like there was a small altar. You could see the coffin. And it was as, as if Bev's body was raised up. We could see her all the way from the back of the room. 
my mom and dad saw Bev and they ran to Bev and they called out, Beverly, Beverly, Beverly. These are the memories that I'm left with. Horrifying, horrifying. If you're having trouble listening to it, imagine living it. It, 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 it was, it's a nightmare. It's absolutely a nightmare. We all had a chance to go up and, of course, be by the side of Bev. And I had the opportunity to do it. And I just remember sitting by her, kneeling by her, talking to her, telling her how much I loved her. And when my turn was over, I went and sat down. Somewhere along the way, I got back up. It was just our family in there at this point. And I was kneeling by her coffin. I remember my mom saying to me in a very soft voice, Barbara, come sit down. Come sit down. But what my mom didn't know was that I was pleading with Bev. At that very moment, I was pleading with Bev, asking her, begging her, Please don't leave me, Bev. Please don't leave me. I need you. I need you, Bev. Those are the words that I was saying to her. The day of the funeral, again, so many people, masses of people, a lot of crying, a lot of hugging. And I remember along the week, it was like, well, who's going to speak? Who's going to speak? about Bev. And of course, it was like, no one's going to speak. But I just thought to myself, Bev is, Bev would speak. If it was one of us, Bev would speak. And so I decided that I would speak. I decided that I wanted to say something. And so I brought a card up on the altar with me. I actually read a card full of phrases that she gave to me at one point. And then I wrote a poem and I'll spare you. I won't read the whole poem. But I know the first lines of those po- of that poem, I know it by heart. I have a sister Beverly, with which I have another. And I love her for her friendship that she always gave to another. Her hair, her nails, the way she walked, I could go on and on. But the thing I like the best is that she's like my mom. Bev was fantastic. She was the light of our family. She was. She was so special to each and every one of us. And I've probably mentioned this before. If everybody in our family had to pick out who's your favorite family member, everybody would have picked Bev. My parents would have picked each other. And then if they had to pick a favorite child, they would have picked Bev. And that was okay probably for all of us because we all knew how special Bev was. Now, Bev was a giver. That's what she did. She just, she had a heart of gold. She gave, gave, gave. So we had Thanksgiving with her. It was Thanksgiving weekend, which was a big shopping weekend. And guess what Bev did that weekend? She went out and she bought us all Christmas presents. So that Christmas, three weeks later, on Christmas morning, we all had to open the Christmas present that Bev gave to us. And one by one, with each person sobbing as they unwrapped the gift that Bev had bought us three weeks earlier. Now, that, that's going to be the last of the sadness that I'm going to talk about Bev because, well, 
Bev was wonderful. Bev was full of life. Bev was little. But when she walked into a room, she filled it. When she walked into a room, she lit it up. The attention went to Bev. She had a beautiful smile. She had great energy. And as I mentioned in the poem, she was a wonderful friend, a terrific sister, and a loving daughter. She she was, gosh, she was, she was as my parents would say, she was a whole bunch. Yeah, that's what she was. So as I grew up, I always wanted to be like Bev and Karen. And when Bev and Karen were in college, they were in a sorority. So of course, when I got to college, well, I needed to do what they did. So I joined a sorority. And in my hand, I am holding the card, the greeting card that Bev gave me when I joined and became an AOPI. Yeah, it's one of those Jan Michelson cards. It's got, God, it's probably got like 50 little sayings on it. But this is what she gave me. I'm going to share it with you. Goes like this. Barb, if I was an AOPI active, this is the inspiration I would share with you. It's my favorite. Read it often. Always remember that I love you so much and that I am so proud of you. You will be a success in all aspects of your life. Enjoy AOPI. It has so much to offer. So many wonderful people, experiences, and opportunities will begin to come your way. Most every day, you will feel extremely busy, and you will wonder where the days, weeks, and months go to. But no matter how busy you are, try and take time for the family. It's not easy, and I'll try to do the same. This is sealed with a giant hug and a kiss. I think you're great. Love always, Beverly. That's my sister, Bev. And I am so, so glad I saved everything. That's what that sorority did. It made me save all this memorabilia. And I have so many little notes. She sent me cards. She sent me newspaper clippings. She made sure I graduated college. She did everything to make sure that I would turn out how I was supposed to turn out. And for Bev, I am forever grateful. All right, if you have a personal story, if you have a story of an incident that involved intuition or warning signs and you'd like to share it on this podcast, please visit me on my website, alwaysbev.com.